0: podcast of language lovers in Australia and beyond where we share our experiences as well as stories from other Australians of learning, working with and using other languages. I'm Penny
1: and I'm Bec and we're excited to bring you another guest with us today. Um, we always love chatting with people on the podcast. So today we have Pete Smithson with us who is the host of the Aussie English podcast. Aussie English is a podcast and a learning platform that helps advanced English students level up their Australian English, whilst also learning about the country's unique culture, history, and more. Pete, welcome.
2: How's it going? Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for joining us. Man, you
2: nailed my surname. You nailed my surname. I'm so impressed.
1: I didn't even think it was that hard. Do people usually have issues of pronouncing your surname?
2: Oh man, it's been the bane of my existence. It's been the bane <laughs> of my existence since I was young. It, it would always be Smyson or Smithson or yeah, all kinds of different weird things people would come up with, but you nailed it, Smithson. Thank you. Well done, <laughs> <Meg>. <laughs> Made my day.
0: <laughs> oh, well, thanks for, thanks for coming on. We are stoked to have you here and maybe we could just start with maybe you just giving us a bit of a bit of a background about how Aussie English began and what inspired you to start your podcast and your YouTube and the many other kind of platforms that that you work on.
2: Man okay so well once upon a time um, there was a, a young man who was doing his PhD in Melbourne uh, in evolutionary biology of native Australian rats right so as, as I'm sure you guys would have guessed that was my beginning so I was I was going into Melbourne Museum every single day and needed something else to kind of take up my time besides looking at dead rats in the museum and reading papers and being in a lab. So I ended up I ended up wanting to start jiu jitsu and and MMA. So I joined a local gym and was, you know, quickly got sort of addicted to that and started meeting people from all over the world at the gym doing brazilian jiu jitsu chiefly You know, like my coach, the coaches. A lot of them were from Brazil. There were French people, people from China, Japan, all over the place. And most of them, I would probably say at least sixty to seventy percent of the people at the gym would speak two or three languages. And it was like, it was like you were weird to only speak one. And I'd kind of had you know experience learning languages at school, but I'm sure as you guys and your listeners will know that the classroom at school tends to be a pretty unproductive way of of um, learning languages and encouraging people to learn languages. So, I kind of gave up on things like Indonesian and Mandarin Chinese. And I did French in in year 12 and it was my, my best subject, but um, it never went much further after that. I actually ended up failing it at, uh, at university because the way it was taught was just so dry. I just gave up and didn't go to the exams. So, anyway, I ended up deciding, you know what, I need to up my game. And, and start learning a foreign language because I'm sort of embarrassed to have so many friends now that are multilingual. So, I, sp- I picked up French and started studying it every single day, you know, religiously as much as I could. And I was after I, about six months, I got to sort of basic fluency and was listening to a podcast called Francais Authentique, Authentic French um, with Johan. And it it was just a really, really effective way of you know, instilling cultural aspects of French, um, you know, learning expressions, uh, learning a lot more than just the language. And I absolutely loved it. And I remember going back to the gym and talking to my my friends who were there that were French and speaking in French to them. And they were like, what happened? How did you manage to, to level up so quickly? And I was like, man, podcasts, get on it. Find some podcasts, you know, that are teaching you English. And they were like, we have problems with Australian English, though. There are lots of British and American podcasts, but they're not particularly helpful besides just sort of, you know, generic English. We can't learn the, the pronunciation, the slang, everything else related to Australia. So, do you know of any podcasts that are like that? I went and had a look and was like, can't find any, but I've done podcasting for science before, so I'll try it. And yeah, that's that's where we began in, I think, 2015. I just put out, I think the first few episodes were just me sitting on a, a dead tree in Royal Park in Melbourne talking about, you know, wanting to help people with English and I'm doing my PhD and I'm this old and everything like that. And you, you go back and listen and you're like, my God, this guy is so shy. <laughs> so, it's a, it, it's been a bit of a journey.
1: Yeah, it's a that's a great story. And what a journey indeed, um, going from you know, studying a PhD and then meeting friends at the gym. I have to say the gym is not the place where I would have thought you would find lots and lots of kind of multilingual speakers in Melbourne, but I love that. That's really, really cool.
2: I, I guess the thing here is to mention that it's a fighting gym. So, it's not a gym for doing weights per se, right? So, it's like if you go there, you're doing classes with people, you're doing, you know, there's fighting classes, boxing, Muay Thai, Jiu-Jitsu, MMA. And so, you get to meet and hang out with partners and train with people and meet the coaches as opposed to just doing weights where it's a bit more isolatory, right? You're sort of on your own and you, you try not to look anyone in the eye and, and, and make friends. <laughs>
1: So were there particular, you mentioned slang, but were there yeah. some other topics and, I don't know, aspects of Australian English that really stood out to you initially when you were talking to some of these friends of yours at the gym who were, who were like, oh, it's really hard to, to understand this or it's really hard to understand the accent or it's hard to understand idioms or, you know, what, what are some of the things that kind of got you thinking um, that Aussie English could be a thing?
2: I, it's it's sort of a long story. I, I, for a long time, I was one of those people at high school that was somewhat sort of ignorant, you know, and, and was like, well, these people come to Australia. Why don't they integrate? Why don't they learn more about our culture? You know, why don't you speak English? I mean, I was never sort of overtly racist or anything, but I was, I was growing up in a sort of very Caucasian suburb. You don't tend to meet many, many foreigners and you would see the news and be like, well, these people have been here for a long time. How come they haven't integrated? And then so, later on, as I sort of developed and started learning foreign languages, I thought, well, there's no one helping them. There's no one that's actually doing their best to put material together to try and share the culture, share the, you know, the ins and outs of what it is to be Australian besides not even sharing the language, really, just being like, go learn some British and American English and you'll be sweet. If, you know, I'm really surprised at the lack of, of government sort of assistance with this sort of stuff, even today with with a lot of the migrate uh, migration, a lot of the migrants that are coming over here, they'll say to me, we, we're just sort of, here's 500 hours worth of, um, you know, tuition that you can have with anyone. And then you're on your own. There was no real help. So, when I was chatting to them about this, you know, and the issues that they were having, a lot of the time they were like, look, we can converse with people and we can communicate, but we don't People will speak quickly. We have no real resources to try and understand the accents and the pronunciation so that a lot of the time they were telling me how hard the broader accents were. They'll be like, Pete, your accent's fine, you know, and I'm like, yeah, but I've spent the last decade in Melbourne at Melbourne University. So, my accent's probably been rounded off and, you know, it's pretty easy to understand. I've been asked if I was British before when I was working at a restaurant in Melbourne. So I was like, "Oh, okay, all right, yep, <laughs> my accent's gone." Um, but then there was things like, "Yeah, the slang that we use and the amount of slang that we use when when speaking—that it just you don't appreciate until you start teaching English or creating content, just how much of it slides in to everyday conversation, and we just take it for granted that the other people understand." So, there was a lot of that. But then, yeah, a lot of it too was just, I need to try and share as much of my life as possible to show, you know, what what I think, what I feel, what my culture is like and, and just try and share as much as possible. And one thing that I did find pretty surprising, I think early on, I did a, an episode on gay marriage when the plebiscite was coming through. And I think to date, that's been one of the most downvoted episodes. And I was kind of really surprised at the the proportion of conservative people in my audience at the time when it came to something like gay marriage. But that sort of instilled in me that need to, well, I need to double down on this stuff and share even more of it, because clearly this is something that's important. And in Australia, you know, these are our values. So, yeah, it's it's a, it's all across the board, I think, with what what's been important to try and share and and impart.
1: So, I guess an aspect of what you do as well, it's not even really, it's not just about the language, but also it's almost kind of an intercultural communication type of, I don't know, information giving. It's sneaky. It's sneaky.
2: I pretend (laughs) that it's all about the language, but really it's more about, I want them to know what I am like as an Australian, how Australians think, how they behave, what our values are, so that... They're like a fly on the wall, you know, for um for my life. And I was, I was reading, no, I was listening to a podcast today where um Michael Shermer was interviewing a woman, I've forgotten her name, about a book that she'd released on cultural differences. So tight cultures versus loose cultures. Australia's a bit of a loose culture, Japan's a very tight culture. And um she was talking about the fact that groups of people, I think it was in England, they they were studying the Pakistani migrants there who were kind of like, you know, what the hell's going on with all these British people wearing bikinis? We don't understand them. They're all weirdos. Their values are all weird. And then you would have the 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 Caucasian British people thinking, oh, the Pakistanis are all weird because they do this, that, and the other. And they did an experiment where they had groups, you know, the group of Pakistanis and the group of the Brits reading each other's diaries. So, they would have Um, daily diaries that had been written by whoever they'd gotten who was in the Pakistani community and the same for the British community and they had them read each other's diaries and then at the end of that week they found out that they were much more accepting of one another because they, they got to see the inner workings of what those groups were like and see how they thought and appreciate the similarities a lot more than the differences and so I sort of see that as my job with with sharing you know content with interviewing people with with doing episodes where i just talk about my what i'm going through what my life's like it's sort of like if if you don't if you're not giving this kind of information to people to sort of be a window into what australia's like and our culture's like you can't really whinge about people not integrating ultimately so that was sort of the it's it's me using a, a language podcast to kind of smuggle in culture <laughs>
0: I think that's great. That's that's really clever. Um, you know, in terms of the feedback that you've got over the years on your, your podcast and um, your videos and your courses and everything that you do, have, have there been like a theme of kind of things that people learning English or learning particularly Australian English have come up against as huge challenges or things that they just get like completely stuck on? I know one thing that we're terrible at. Is that we're huge shorteners of everything, and I I do it myself. Like, I'm if I can shorten a word, I'll just do it every time. (laughs) Um, And it must be so frustrating to people who are second language speakers because you're like, oh, just use the proper word so I can understand Mm -hmm. what you're saying. Do you come across that?
2: Yeah. Oh, man, the slang thing pisses them off to no end, I think. <laughs> but it, I, I'm always like embrace it because the moment that you start to dive in and start using it, not only are you going to then get a feel for it and be able to kind of... it's you, You'll be able to improvise with it too, right? Because I think all Australians kind of have this if you've grown up here, you know, whatever race you are, whatever cultural background you have outside of that or heritage you have, once you, if you've grown up here, you kind of know how to use slang and you can make it up as you go along. So, something new will come out and you'll have just create this word. You know, we have this weird. I, I would love to know more about the linguistics of it. And if people had done studies on Britain and America and and found that they weren't as creative with new words for things the same way that Australians are because I have a feeling that's why we have so much of this slang going around constantly because it's not like it was created in the past it seems to be this ongoing process so that's something that I'm always like just learn as much as you can obviously there's you know there's racist slang there's rude slang there's formal slang kind of there's informal slang so you kind of have to try and you know, maybe test it on someone that, you know, first where you're not worried about going to a job interview and being, you know, scone on the sava or whatever, just whipping it out where they're just going to be like, whoa, way too, way too informal. But I'm always like, use it, use it, use it, go for it. So, that has been the biggest thing, I think, for a lot of people. And, you know, I've had people, I've had Colombian students in the past and it's interesting. I think, you know, as someone who's never been to Colombia and never studied Spanish, from what I've been told they have a sort of class system where it, you want to be, if you're if you're in the upper class, you maintain that sort of formality constantly with anyone you're speaking to, it doesn't matter who. So, a lot of them found it very uncomfortable to try and learn the slang and the informality of using the slang, especially with people that they'd never even met. So, whereas I was saying a lot of the time that it's fine to say, G'day mate, how's it going when you meet someone for the first time because Australia is very informal that way and that shows it signals a lot of other things beside the words that you're friendly that you're you know a person who's interested in in sort of having an informal conversation and that you're i don't know mainly that you're friendly and so i was always saying use that use that kind of thing when you know it's appropriate practice it because again if you come up to me as a colombian who just got off the plane and barely speaks any english and you say you know g'day mate how's it going i'm going to feel like instantly i've got a deeper connection with you than if I met an American in the street who said, hello, how are you? You know, like I would be like, this person is at least, you know, showing they are interested in in Australian culture and having a desire to learn more about it as opposed to someone who I'm like, okay, they're instantly a different culture, although they're native speakers of English. So, I really, really encourage people to to dive in and try and learn the slang and and use it. And it's been my experience in Portuguese. I get a lot of um, comments from from my uh, my wife and her friends all the time of like, you've got a really good sense of humor in Portuguese. Like, I don't know how you just get it. And I'm like, I think it's the Australian in me because I just don't care. And I kind of don't mind making mistakes, but I also like playing with words. So, I don't know if you, either of you guys speak Portuguese or have learned it. Have you learned Spanish?
1: No, I haven't. Uh, no. So,
2: in, in Portuguese, they have these they, they, instead of shortening words, they kind of lengthen them by putting INU or Inya on the end, which is the way of making it small. So, like you could say pequeno um, or you can say niñu and which is redundant. Piqueno would be small and then niñu is like small, small. And so, they do that all the time to show cuteness or to show that they like something. And so, I got a feel for that very quickly. And I have a feeling it was because I was just kind of comfortable playing with language because of Australian English. So, yeah, it, it's interesting how it can change from, from language to language.
1: Yeah, I love that. Also, I Also, like, I really liked how you brought up like that kind of sense of the ever-evolving nature of Australian slang, um, which I really think you hit the nail on the head with that because it's actually, I've never thought about it in that way before. But definitely in this last you know, kind of 12 to 18 months, <laughs> we've really seen so much new slang. Yeah. And um, Penny and I were just talking about this recently and saying how, isn't it isn't it interesting how almost, I think a lot of Australians have used that slang to almost make a serious situation palatable <laughs> <laughs> or like a serious situation kind of a bit more um, endurable because we can at yep. least have fun with the language that we use to describe things that otherwise are kind of terrifying. Um, like, you know, does anyone want some hand san or hand sanny? Like, you know, that kind <laughs> of talking about ISO Getting of isolation. Getting Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's just like I think I think all of that kind of helps to just it's this playfulness and, and very much, as you said, a, a slang that really anyone can take on. Anyone can create yeah. that. There are no... There actually are, I think, some kind of unwritten rules, but it's like we all play by them and don't really know them formally, yeah. but we know how to we know how to use them.
2: Well, I think it's a democracy, effectively. There is so much slang. People would make up on a daily basis and would just throw around at school and you would imagine 99% of it just gets thrown away because it sounds like shit and the rest of it. Someone will nail something and it, like, escapes the zoo, you know? So, like, selfie is Australian. We nailed that. That was ours. And Americans... Bloody culturally appropriated their shit out of it and they think it's theirs and you ask them you'll be like oh who came up with selfie and they'll be like we didn't and you're like you liars it's Australian it came from us it came out we are the ones that unleash that onto the world you know and but you imagine how many other words there would have been that people tried using for taking photos of yourself you know photies no one ever used that oh well you know they probably tried but it was a weird sounding one so it just didn't get any uh it didn't take off but I, I think yeah, there must be so much Australian slang that just never got anywhere, and it is it is funny. There's a lot of stuff that just dies. Like who says "huru" or "turu" anymore when they're saying goodbye? My my grandfather might, and I'll be like, Pfft. <laughs> and I, I keep wondering what words am I going to say to my kids that are normal now. And they're just going to be like, "Oh my god, that's so embarrassing!" You know, like if you were to say, oh, "Hand us the dead sauce," or oh, the dead sauce, the dead horse, the tomato sauce, right? <laughs> the rhyming slang stuff—I can't even do it. No one does that anymore, unless they're like taking the piss out of the actual fact that that used to be something that people would say in Australia. And so it moves so quickly, doesn't it? It's really, it's really funny, and it's almost like the next generation refuses to use what the other generations use and they're like well we got to make our own imprint on this let's come up with our own words
0: yep yep i love that that selfie is ours i'm very I'm yeah very i know <laughs> <good>. <laughs> <laughs> um pete you you mentioned just before about your your wife is is brazilian and that you're learning and speaking portuguese how how's how's that going do you guys speak um portuguese at home and Are you feeling like conversational now, or what's what's it been like?
2: Oh man, I smash conversational so quickly. Like it took (laughs) only about six months to be honest, just to toot my own horn. But the flip (laughs) side of that is the flip side of that is that, and and I'm I'm sort of doing that in a joking way to then to then crap on myself. After three years, I've noticed that I haven't improved at all. And it's blown my mind because you get you get sort of in this bubble of using the same language all the time, and I remember. So the backstory is that I was working hard on French, got that to a really high level, you know, relative to me. I don't think it was anywhere near you know a native level, but I was really proud. I could speak to people who didn't speak English and communicate with them. And then I met my my wife through through the podcast, funnily enough, and was like, well, uh, you know, I've got to go out of my way to use French, but I've got a Portuguese speaker at home now, you know, locked in a cage that (laughs) that I can speak with every single day. And so, I was like, well, I probably should start putting in some effort to try and learn her native language, especially if we end up married with kids. Spoiler, we did. And so, I spent all this time learning Portuguese, but we we moved to Canberra because she got a job there at the Brazilian embassy. And I was trying really hard to sort of learn with her And on my own at the same time but it wasn't really that effective i could i get you know little bits and pieces but then we ended up moving into a house with five other brazilians and that was the tipping point that really just threw me in the deep end and got me to fluency really quickly because their english was horrible you know again not to not to make fun of them they were all working with other brazilians but they were just like well we're not speaking english to you we're going to speak portuguese to you every single day and so after about you know three or four months it just. I had no other choice because as well, I was working from home. So, I was I was effectively not speaking English with anyone for for a long time. Um, where was I going with this? So, yeah. Oh, okay. So, we've been together for three, four years now. At home every day, we pretty much just speak Portuguese almost 100% of the time, unless we can't think of a word <laughs> in which we go to English. I mean, you know, what else can you do? Um, and, but the, the funny thing is that, yeah, after all this time initially of working hard and getting all these initial newbie gains and, and getting really good at Portuguese and feeling so pumped up, I hit that intermediate plateau and I realized I appreciated just how hard it is to get off that. If you're not, you have to sort of really actively be pushing at that point and, and studying. And I just haven't had time really. So, it is funny that initially I was like, man, I'm so badass. I've done so well. And then now after three three or four years, it's literally, I would say that I'm, you know, very, very, very fluent, almost native level at home when talking about the kids, when talking about what you want to do for dinner, because I've done that every single day for four years now. But the moment that the conversation switches and someone wants to talk about something that's out of my wheelhouse, I don't have the words for it. Like I, as you guys all know from learning languages. And so it, it's always a sort of, a, a rude awakening when someone will be like hey Pete so what do you think of politics and I'll be like I'm out let's do English like <laughs> so it has been really funny and I, I appreciate how much now I need to go out of my way to be listening to podcasts be watching TV shows and trying to push constantly because that battle doesn't seem to end and yeah it was it I that sort of gave me a window into what the students that or the students the listeners the audience that I have faced where they're like I get to Australia and I can speak English and I can I can get to the level where I can communicate with people, but then I feel like I never get any better. And that that hitting that that intermediate plateau really showed me uh, this is why because you you've you've you know smashed all the stuff that you use on a daily basis out of the park. You've done really well, and you can order coffee and you can you know work in your workplace. But if you're not constantly learning new things and trying to speak about new things and meeting different people and working on different accents or you know, watching Game of Thrones so that you get a hundred different accents in the one episode, you're not going to improve. So, yeah.
0: Yep, you need that next challenge, don't you, to take you to that next level, that next kind of exposure ring, so to so to speak. I was going to say, Pete, when you were talking about, it's
2: that- hard because you get comfortable, right? It gets so comfy. And it's like being at the gym and constantly having to put heavier weights on the bar. You're like, oh, my God, I just got to the level of being able to do this weight. Now I'm making it harder. Why would I do that? You know, but if you want to get better, you have to keep pushing. So,
0: I was going to say, too, that just hearing you talk about your language learning and your language experiences really kind of shines a light on why, you know, Aussie English is, has been so successful, I think, maybe because you you come at it with your own experiences and your level of empathy for your your audience as a language learner yourself um do you, i mean obviously that's been a huge part of your life as well but do you think that's had a, a big role to play in in the way that you've you've moved your business along and the things that you've shared with your Aussie English fans can i call them fans
2: <laughs> yeah yeah 100% oh man 100% and i I always, I wouldn't call it resentment, but I've always had a bit of a sort of skeptical nature towards people who are teachers of anything that they didn't really know themselves in terms of um, hadn't been through the pain of having to learn what it is that they're effectively teaching, right? Like there are so many English teachers out there who have never learned a foreign language and you kind of like, how does it end up at that point where you're like, I get that you're a native speaker, but you've learned it from birth, which is a completely different process to what pretty much any one of your students is going through unless they are a child that has never learned a foreign language and are currently learning English. And so, I was always sort of sceptical and kind of annoyed that so many more people didn't go out of their way to try and at least understand to be able to empathise then with what people are going through. It would be, you know, you go to a class and you teach something or you receive something as, as being taught to you, but you don't really feel like the person understands the trouble that you're having. And so, that was a big reason too of me wanting to maintain um a language at some you know level all the time now, and just be constantly trying to to be using it on a daily basis and and hopefully now, with more time, be able to keep pushing and get to higher and higher levels because then I can use what I learn to try and help create content that'll help other people because I think they're in that, that exact same kind of an analogous mirror image position that, that I am.
1: Such a good, such a good thing to highlight. Um, and something that both of us, so you know, a, a few a few episodes back, we'll pop this in the show notes if anyone's interested. But um, we had a chat about um, kind of the pros and cons of native versus non-native speakers um, as teachers, yep. and why there are definitely benefits to both of those groups of people in your kind of language learning journey, whatever language it might be with, um, just because somebody is a native speaker, that can be great for some things as you know, if they're a teacher too. But also sometimes there's really some value in learning from somebody who has also had to learn themselves. Um, So a really good point to make.
2: Well, it was like this for me learning jiu-jitsu. So, jiu-jitsu for anyone who doesn't know, Brazilian jiu-jitsu is is like chess with the human body. There are so many positions you can get into and you're constantly kind of trying to use different moves to counter other people's moves so that you can then choke them or do an arm bar to, to end the fight. And I remember you, a good teacher would be generally someone who was older because they typically learnt at a time where they weren't, you know- They hadn't learned from such a young age that it was just, they didn't have to think about it at all. And it was, it was something that they could empathize with your learning process. Whereas I remember I would be fighting with black belts who had been, you know, doing it since they were three years old. And sometimes you would ask them, how did you do that? And they're just like, you just do it. And you're like, well, that's not really helpful, mate. <laughs> like, so there would be these people you would who were incredibly skilled, but they couldn't share the knowledge of how they'd learnt the thing. They could just do it by that point because they were so they'd done it for so long and from such a young age that they didn't know any different. So it felt a lot of the time that there was that it was interesting to see you would find people who weren't necessarily as competitively skilled or accomplished, but would be better teachers because for whatever reason, they'd gone through a different process and learnt it and could communicate that, you know, say non-natives. And then you would have natives, so the people who'd learnt from birth, and they would be horrible teachers besides being the best fighter on the mat effectively, you know, that, that you no one could beat. So, it was something that I always saw as a sort of analogy for that of the pros and cons, you know. If you fight the person who, who can't teach you anything but is phenomenal, eventually you'll get better and better and better but a lot of the time if you fight the person who knows what you're going through and they can sort of impart the the knowledge are the kind of little shortcuts to get ahead so massively massively one of those things of i think native speakers when they're english teachers especially those that don't speak a foreign language have something to protect in that they want to see that i'm i have something that other teachers don't have and that's why i should be hired for certain jobs non natives obviously want to have the same sort of thing of but i've learned from scratch and and native speakers don't know what it's like, but I think, yeah, you need that balance of the two quite often. And and they're both tools effectively. If you're learning English and you have a teacher who's, well, if you have access to both, they can both be incredibly helpful or they can both be, you know, incredibly useless depending on what you're trying to do with each of them, right? So you have to work out what you want and, and which teacher is going to be the best for you and then go down that road so that your English gets as good as possible as quickly as possible.
0: You talk so passionately about what you do and your work and I can tell that you know from a deep a deep place deep inside that you really love it um what is one of the, what are your favorite things about about the work that you do and, and Aussie English in general what brings you joy
2: Oh man, you're gonna make me tear up. I think I was just thinking about it. The emails that I get, the emails that I get from people, like that's probably the 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 biggest thing that that blows my mind every day. Where you'll you'll have people email you and tell you their life story and be like, you know, I came to Australia, I didn't know anyone, I couldn't speak the language, I didn't feel confident, and then I found Aussie English, and you know, it's helped me do X, Y, Z. It's helped me build confidence. It's I've gone out there and I've used the slang and I've ended up developing relationships and friendships with people or I've gotten a job and, you know, I feel confident now. And I feel all the time, I feel like saying to them, man, Aussie English did fuck all. You are the one that did all the work, you know, like I want to remind them that. But at the same time, having received those kinds of emails quite a lot, it does it does sort of hit home and that's the sort of fuel in the fire that keeps me wanting to do what I'm doing because it's it's making a difference. And that was why, you know, I kind of jumped ship from, from doing the PhD originally. I always thought I was going to be a, a biologist, but it just wasn't fulfilling in the way that, that doing the podcast was, you know, like on a daily basis, even when I first started, the feedback from people was just so overwhelmingly positive and kind and just encouraging. And, and the fact that I could do something that seemed for me so trivial, of just record myself talking about crap, right? Like, I mean, you know, I could just talk about anything and, and give my two cents and put it out there and that people were saying, this is helpful. You know, this is allowing me to do X, Y, Z or it's encouraging me to try this or that. Or, you know, I you shared a fail that you had with French and I feel exactly the same way in English, but no one's talked about that before like that. And so that was the the real eye-opener for me that made me feel like, you know, I can, this this comes easy. At least it feels like it comes easy and I really enjoy this, whereas science felt like a massive grind and so competitive and and people backstabbing and there was always like trying to get grants. And, you know, so I was just like, uh, I just, you know, whilst I love science, I just didn't feel like I would ever have the same kind of impact on other people um, as I would have with the podcast. And, um, yeah, I, th- I think I, I made the right decision, but we'll see. <laughs>
1: <laughs> one last, One last question for you too for today. Um, what would be your number one tip for people who are learning English?
2: Oh man, that's, that's hard. Do more, (laughs) (laughs) do more. There's no shortcuts. There's no, you're not going to get fluent in three months. (laughs) It doesn't matter what (laughs) Benny Lewis says, you're not, it's (laughs) not going to happen. I mean, and and as much as I said it as well, like, I mean, it didn't, it wasn't really three months or anything like that. It's just, but just, Uh, from jujitsu, I always said to the coach, how do I get better? You know, how do I, I want to be a blue belt the next one after white. How do I do this? And he was like, more time on the mat, more time on the mat, be a mat rat, you know? So you come in, be first here, get on the mat, warm up and be drilling with people before the class has even started. Do the class when the class ends, be the last to leave. And that's how you'll get your black belt in 10 years if you keep doing it. And I was like, oh, fuck. But th- <laughs> but it started paying off. So I started doing that with jujitsu at least when I was doing that. And then for for French and for Portuguese, it was the same thing of how do I squeeze more into every single day? When I was when I was doing the PhD, it would be listening to podcasts whilst eating breakfast, listening to podcasts whilst walking to to work, listening to podcasts or watching YouTube videos during breaks at work whilst I'm in the lab, I would be listening to podcasts or what. Audiobooks, And, you know, I remember some days I was, I had like four to five hours worth of listening that I'd done in all the dead time that filled up my day on public transport or in the lab or at the gym or whatever it was. And so just trying to squeeze as much in as possible, but also enjoying the process and not making it a chore. I think that that's that sort of butter zone of if you're enjoying yourself whilst doing more, you've nailed it and you're in that sort of flow state where you're probably um, optimally primed to learn because you're enjoying yourself and you want to do more, 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 more. So, that's the sort of the, the perfect zone to be in to really receive information, absorb it and use it. Whereas, if it's a grind, you're doing something wrong, change it up. Don't be afraid to let it go. And that, that's probably the, that second part of the tip. If you don't like Aussie English, don't listen to it. Find something you like. You know, If you don't like this TV show that you started watching, ditch it. Find something else. If you don't like the book you're reading, ditch it just follow the fun. Don't, don't make it a chore.
0: Great advice. Great advice for all language learners out there. Um, Yeah. Find something fun. Ditch it if it's no good. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Thank you, Pete. Thank you for giving up your time to come and chat to us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you.
2: Oh man. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me on.
0: And well, it's
1: been so fun. Um, if Could you just let everybody else know, obviously, we've mentioned Aussie English many times in this episode, but where do people find you and how can they find you online?
2: Just go to aussieenglish.com.au and you'll find me and it's Aussie spelled A-U-S-S-I-E.
0: Um, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of Language Chats. Um, we hope you enjoyed this chat as much as we have. Um, please don't forget to subscribe and... Share with your friends and we will catch you again in another fortnight. And remember as well that if you would like to join in
1: with the language chats, um, just not recorded, um, then (laughs) you can join our Facebook group, Language Lovers AU Community. Um, You can also find out more about what we do at languagelovers.com.au. See you soon. Thanks. See you next time. Thanks, Pete.
2: See ya.